Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, the Chabruta Ann Gordon. Our DAP today, Masachi Kitavot, DAP Kuftet, page 109. Well, we're considering, continuing, excuse me, with the statements of Admon, um, and we have a new Mishnah discussing his nest, his neck. So somebody promises and gives money for his son-in-law's a dowry, and then he goes bankrupt, right? So now he doesn't have the money in order to give this son-in-law. Right? That woman the, who was betrothed to this, his daughter who was betrothed to him basically sits unwed, right? Until her head turns white. In other words, if the groom doesn't want to marry her without a dowry, he can't be forced to do so because the father didn't fulfill the financial obligation that he had promised him. Admon Omer, Admon says, Yucholaki Shatomar, Right, she can say, Had I sort of given that money myself and broken my promise, would I agree to sit here till my hair turned white? But now that my father is the one who, you know, promised that money, what am I supposed to do? Either marry me, right, or release me. In other words, so. As much as the statement we had before the previous mission of Admon was a little bit difficult to understand, right? The one that I read about whether or not he sort of a man is being penalized for being a man. Here, he's really sticking up for the woman. He's basically saying this opinion of the Tanakama doesn't make sense. Why should she be penalized because of a financial obligation her father is not able to fulfill? She would never have agreed to that. I'm a Reverend Gamliel. We're at Nizi Admon. So Reverend Gamliel says, I, I see the, you know, I see what, what Admon meant. Now, the Gemara starts off with try. Who is this Mishnah, you know, who is this Mishnah? Uh, not taught in accordance with? Um, and they quoted Tosefta, uh, you know, to go through that. And they wanted to s- describe a little bit what is it exactly uh, that they're and whether it has to do with if she's an adult woman or if she's a minor girl and all these types of things. But I want to skip down to the middle here, where Amar Rabbi Yitzchak ben Elazar mishmed zechizkiah. Rabbi Yitzchak ben Elazar says in the name of Chizkiah, Komakom shamar Rabbi Gamliel, re'ani et divrei admon, halacha kimuto. Anytime, Rabbi Gamliel, we see in a Mishnah that statement, I see what Admon is saying, that's what the halacha is like. Amar le Rav Nachman, so Rav says to Rav Nachman, afil b'brita, even if it's in a brita, in other words, when that statement appears, is it only, and we say the halacha like Roman Gamliel, is it only when it's a Mishnah, or does that also include a Brayta, right? So Rav Nachman says, did we say that it's only the Mishnah? Right. We, I said, any place. Right, so Rabbi Zera says after this, right, so after Rav Nachman says, no, it's anywhere that it says, Rabbi Zera says the name of Rabbi Bar Yirmiya, so he says these these passages of these Mishnayot, the two examples of Hanan, we follow his halacha, the seven examples of Admon, we don't follow him. So the Gemara says, what's he saying? What does he mean by this? This is what he's saying. The statements of Hanan, the halacha, is like him and is in accordance to anybody who rules like him. The seven things that Anmon says, 
The halacha is not like him and not also in accordance to anybody who rules like him. But then we say, So we say, wait, but Gemara, you just said, according to Rabbi Yitzchak ben Elazar, in the name of Chizkia, anytime it says that Rabbi Gamliel says we follow Admon, we follow him. So these two statements seem to contradict each other. Right, sorry. Rather, what are we saying? The two things that Hanan said. Right? So what he's saying is the halacha is in accordance with Admon in all seven of these cases. So basically what this is saying is, is that when we talk about the two statements of Hanan, the halacha was in, is, is within his opinions and with the ones who, who were similarly with him. And remember, that was actually Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka. But with the seven statements of Amon, the halacha is not only in accordance with the ruling of Rabbi Gamliel, who ruled similarly, right, in three of the cases. It's rather halachas like him in all seven of the cases. So we're sort of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here. And what we're going to see is, is that in the seven cases of Anu, Rav Gamliel only comes in in three of those cases. So what Rabbi Zera is saying is, is that the halacha is actually like Admon in all seven cases. So again, we get back to the original statement of Rabbi Yitzchak ben Alazar. Right, he said we only follow Admon when Rav Gamliel follows him. Right, so that's only when. But if Rav Gamliel did not say the halacha should not be like him, Ella Halchi Kamar. This is what Rabbi Zera is actually saying. The two statements of Hanan, the halacha is like him and those who ruled like him. So what Rabbi Zeyer must have been saying, because we have the statement of Rabbi Yitzchak, is sometimes we follow Admon and sometimes we don't follow Admon. Now, again, you're not bringing another proof. They're sort of just being like, Rabbi Yitzchak's statement can't make sense, so we have to sort of rework it. And if it's not, then it's not. So I found this passage to be fascinating because essentially it's like we have this statement of Rabbi Zerah. It's no sense. We basically modify it to be the opposite. There's no proof brought to it, but we're just like, yeah, well, Rabbi Zerah couldn't have said that because it's a direct contradiction to Rabbi Yitzchak. Even that doesn't make sense because it's a contradiction to Rabbi Yitzchak because Rabbi Yitzchak said it's only Rabbi Gamliel. And so we completely modify his statement to say like, it's only those statements of Rabbi Gamliel. But again, it's interesting to see. It's not like they bring a proof for that. It's more, this is like a logic play. Um, yeah, I think it's complicated. Meaning, I guess I say that a lot, but I feel like this is one of those things where you have a small Mishnah and not so much Gemara and lo and behold, there's a lot of thumbs. Right, but again, it's not, it, it's just, it's by logic. Like they don't have proof of being like, I heard Rabbi Zera say this, or this is the Misora I asked. Right. They're basically just saying, this is what he had to have been because otherwise it just makes no sense. And he's got the shoulders to say that. 
Okay, I'm going to go on to the next Mishnah. The next Mishnah is, I would say, much more complicated than it looks like on on the face of it. On the face of it, we're talking about a person who comes to claim that the field, a given field, is his. The issue is, and we'll see this once we get to Admon's understanding of the claimant, that there has there's a whole backstory that has to be in place for the rest of the Mishnah to make sense, but it's not the opening statement. The case, as it stated, is as follows. We have a person who comes to claim that he owns a field, right? He's, he's, um, he's contesting the ownership, right? He's contesting the ownership of the field. He wants to say that it's his, right? Somebody else um, is has the charge of it, right? But he's, let's give people A and B here, right? So A, person A comes and says to person B, that's my field. B has the, is in charge of the field, however. But here's where it gets tricky. The person A has signed his own name. He signed on the bill of sale to person B. So either A has sold it, right? Has sold the field to B, or what? And this is why I say, you know, it looks like that's a very simple case. Admon's answer calls that into question, the simplicity of it. Admon Omer, Hasheni Noach Li Varishon Himeno. So suddenly we have more people involved, right? We've got Hasheni, the second owner, Varishon, the first owner, and we have the Orer, the person who comes to claim that it's his field. So that means that the current person the person who's currently in charge of the field is the Shani, right? The, the person B, right? Hasheni Noachli. He says, I, he, the second person here, B, was easier to deal with, according to Admon, than person A. Not than person A, than, than person Q, right? Than the original, or we'll say, oh, for the original owner who sold to B. But where's A? A says, but it's my field. It was never O's field. It was always my field. The Admon is suggesting that person A is signed, you know, put his name to the bill of sale for the sake of continuing the, the, his, his claim on the field against person B instead of going back to person O. And he says, anyway, it was hard to deal with him. And the suggestions are that, you know, maybe the first owner was violent. Maybe the first owner was just more difficult. Whatever it might have been that, that the claimant doesn't want to bring the claim against the first owner of the field, he's willing to bring the claim against the second owner of the field, even though he himself signed on to the bill of sale to person B. Now, of course, the tricky part here is, again, I'm going to read that first line again. How rare al-hasadeh khatum he, the claimant, uh, there's a claim against, a person comes to make a claim, a claim against the field, and he is signed on it or against it as a witness, right? So what happens is that Admon takes a step back and says, this by itself is not, the, the plain reading of this makes no sense. It makes no sense that somebody would come and claim that he owns the field when he himself has signed on that to the bill of sale. It must be that there's a much more complicated story going on here. And Admon is using what I would call his thumbs, right, to, to figure out what's the human nature, what's the possibilities of, of a backdrop here. And it, it doesn't at all read like, I would say, just shot in the same, in the plain sense of the, of the words that are there in the Mishnah, except for that Admon is responding to what is clearly a much more intricate case. I'm continuing the Mishnah. Ibed and 
The rabbis, the sages say that he, again, the orer, the person A in our scenario, the person who comes to claim, to make the claim on the field, he has lost his right to claim that it's his, right? He he signed on the bill of sale. So therefore, it goes the, to the person who has bought it, right? Asa'ah siman la'acher ibedet zchuto. So now the question is, what happens if he somehow established that the field itself, siman la'acher, was in fact a marker for another field, right? Meaning, he not to say that he signed the bill of sale in this case, what if he just says, no, that field, my field, that field is my field, and I can tell you that it's my field because it's a marker to say that this is the edge of that other field that does not belong to me, and this one does belong to me. And the claim here is, by the Mishnah, right, is that if he set up his that field as a marker for another field, then that's, that everybody agrees, including Admon, that he has lost his right. Why? Right? It seems like, it, how is this any any weaker of a case for the claimant than the previous one? And the issue seems to be as follows, that if the if he's, you know, established that there's a first field is a boundary marker and he describes it as belonging, then the very fact that he's describing it as a boundary marker as opposed to his field, right, he's giving it the attention as being a boundary marker, then even Admon is going to take that step back and say he's lost the right because he would never, he, he would never have said any, he would never have said it belonged to somebody else unless he, at least in that context, believed that it was somebody else and then belonged to somebody else. And then as soon as he can testify, or or I don't mean literally testify in court, right? As soon as he has said that in, in he's used words to indicate that the field belongs to somebody else, then he no longer can claim that it's his. So I, I think that this is not the only case here. Dana, you've said it before and you'll say it again, right? This That Admon here is is really delving in deep into these cases where the mission itself is fairly terse. Um, the Gemara here, just uh, very quickly, right, Abaye takes this case and says, you know, it's one thing to say that he's a witness on the bill of sale, but um, if he was a, the judge who was con- who was making the claim on the ownership of the field, and he himself was sitting on the court that certifies that bill of sale, then he doesn't lose his right. Meaning, being the judge is a different kind of situation than simply signing the document. But then we have a statement here, because Rabbi Chia teaches that witnesses do not sign a document unless they have read it. Meaning he would never have signed his name there just for the convenience of it or just to make it all go away because person person O was so difficult to deal with. So he'd rather deal with person B. That implies that he hasn't actually read what he's signing, which means signing the rights away. So Rabbi Chia says, no, right? Because in line with the position of Chachamim, that he's, he's in fact lost his right, Rabbi Chia's position is that witnesses, anybody who's going to sign a document is going to read what they're signing, and therefore he knows that he's giving up the rights to it, and therefore um, he, you know, by very by the very fact that he has signed it, it actually means what we think it means, namely he's, he's um, attesting to the sale itself, as opposed to a judge. Now, I don't know why you would think that a judge would not read what he says, but but this seems to be the position that judges do not sign, they do sign documents that they have not read, meaning they're just, this, they're just a rubber stamp sometimes, judges, right? They're certifying signatures, 
without relating to the context. I, I would say that this is judges functioning as um, notaries more than judges functioning as judges or as witnesses. And the fact that there is a role for a judge that counts as a notary means that you could have a judge who would sign off and not not really be signing on the content of the document. But a witness, a witness, and that's that's who person A is, right? It says specifically that he is an aide, then then that he he clearly has to um know what was in the document. I, I like this piece of the Gemara. I like the distinction um between again, I'm gonna say notaries instead of judges, but it's here under the terms of, of Dayanim, between the Dayanim and the Adim. Um and I like the position of Rabbi Khia that <laughs> witnesses are gonna sign uh, are, are not going to sign something if they haven't read it. Certainly nowadays we are told, you know, don't sign anything you haven't read. And I can tell you that when I first came to Israel and I had to open a bank account and I sat there at the bank and I read all of the words in the agreements, you know, to, to um, you know, to open a bank account. And there's a lot of fine print and a lot of Hebrew and it took me a little bit of time. And the the person, the clerk or whoever, the banker who was trying to help me open the bank account said she'd never seen anybody read the words of these contracts. So, so of course, I'm going to like Rebbe Fee on this. Well, that was a rather complicated case, but I think you're summarizing well in the sense that what Admon is pointing out is all of the assumptions that sort of have to happen in order to make that case work. Uh, I'm going to move on to another Mishnah, which reads as follows. Misha so somebody goes overseas and the path that goes to his field was lost. So the Gemara is basically going to explain that what this means is, is that you have a field that was surrounded by four other fields. And it's clear that the path, in other words, so that field is smack in the middle. It's not off a road. It's you have to go through somebody else's field to get to that field. And so the question is how, but the path, because he left, you know, wasn't taken care of and nobody remembers or none of the other four uh, mem- you know, nobody's claiming that uh, that the field, uh, you know, get, uh, who has the path in which field? Okay, that's sort of somewhat the Gemara is going to discuss. Okay, Admon Omer um, Admon says that uh, he wants to. He makes the shortest path possible. The rabbis say, let him buy a path. Right, he has to actually give money over for to one neighboring uh, field uh, at one hundred uh, at one hundred dinars, or let him fly through the air. In other words, he needs he didn't take care of the field, he didn't take care of the path. He basically needs to reestablish some type of ownership. Now, the Gemara wants to understand exactly why. What's the opinion uh, of the rabbis, and what's the opinion of Admon? Um, and they essentially. Uh, get to that part of what uh, this has to be is, is that uh, Rabba basically says it's a case where there's four owners of the fee of, of, of the fields, right? Right. I'm a Rabba. I'm skipping a little bit. Right. So there are four owners of the field who come by the virtue of the four previous owners. Right. And in the case of there are four owners who come by virtue of one previous owner of all four properties, Right, everyone agrees that they can put off the claims of the owner of the fields in the middle, or they could say your path didn't cut through my property. So it's a little bit similar, and to the case that you had before, where there's sort of like it, it has to do with like the current owners versus the previous owners, 
And if there is a previous owner who claims the field, the path didn't go through there, this is kind of what this case is talking about. What they disagree about is a case where there's one current owner of the four fields, right, who came by owning or buying basically the pre the four previous owners. That, that's what the case is. Okay, so it's a little bit of a confusing case. Take your time reading it. I'm not sure that I totally explained it well. But the Mishnah and the discussion of the Gemara in this Mishnah end with two interesting cases. And it's a case of a palm tree that was specifically left for a daughter, right? That the heirs do not immediately give to her. In other words, she inherits the tree, but not property. And so the Gemara tries to relate these cases to the statement of Admon because they're similar in the sense of like, you have a path in somebody else's property that's yours how do you take ownership of that path? And so here the cases are that you have a daughter who owns a palm tree in the other heir, in somebody else's property, in the heir's property, whether or not they give it to her or not. So, and then the other one has to do with that you give her two half trees instead of a full tree. And ultimately it's decided that that is okay. So we're getting, my comments about this stuff would be, and based on that mission and my mission, which I don't think I explained well, I tried my best is we're getting into very, very granular legal law here. These are very, very, very specific cases. But that's how law works, right? Well, but I'm going to say more than that. Um, the Mishnah does not... We're used to the Mishnah, including the details that we know. And if not, then the Gemara will flesh it out in a way that is very clear that, oh, we just didn't realize that that was all the details. Here, I feel like, no, there's a lot more kind of investigative... Um, backdrop that we could not know without Admon's, um, you know, providing us with this much more complicated kind of thinking. Right. And, it, and it's complicated. Like these cases are complicated and there's a lot of assumptions that the Gemara has to flesh out in order to make those cases work. They're not self-evident from the Mishnah itself. Exactly. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this app on our Talking Time and Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.